Father, we just pray that you'd um, be with us, that you'd speak to us this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you receive us just as we are, that you know us inside out, through and through. And Father, we just pray that you would speak in a way that would continue to lead us forwards. Father, forgive us for the things that have gone on in the week before and guide us into new ways of life and that we might be givers of life, love, joy, peace to those all around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. So, it is part three, un, dos, tres, of the Artificial Intelligence series, which obviously is what every church is talking about right now. Such a key theme in the scriptures. So, we're at the third part, and we are looking at 1st Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10 I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there may be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, love that, Chloe's got her own people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus. That should be on every Walker's packet. I'm going to throw that out there. And Gaius, so that no one, <laughs> Crispus, the Christian, Crisp for Christian people. <laughs> that would just be so awesome. Because, you know, Christians couldn't possibly eat pagan crisps. So we need Crispus and we need it now. Because we want to be so disconnected, we have our own crisp brand. So that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. Good memory, Paul. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Love that word. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you have noble of birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things 
that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, it has been written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So he's talking about wisdom. And he's talking about the lack of wisdom. And he's talking about two kind of sets of thoughts. So he talks about like the Jews and he talks about the Greeks. And as he talks about these two different types of things, he's, he's writing to this place called Corinth, which would be a place with kind of Greek ideals, but there'll be Jews dispersed there. And there'll be people that are engaging with this new kind of um, narrative, this new story, this new good news, this new message of Jesus, which is a Hebrew Israel kind of story. And so for some of the guys there, they'd get what he's saying on one level and some of them wouldn't and some of them would be new to the faith and some of them old. And so what he does is he targets the two different people groups. And he's doing this because there's been this absolute crazy, crazy new revelation, which we kind of hear about in Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of the Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it had been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places so he kind of has this thing where here he's saying that the manifold wisdom of God might be known through the church so he's like going there's this new thing that happened which we didn't see coming that it came through his prophets and his holy apostles by the spirit of God you know what he's saying we never clocked that this was bigger than our tribe we never clocked and perceived that what God wasn't do, was doing was bigger than our group. So the way we always do things is there's the in-group, the out-group. There's the included, there's the excluded. Now for this people, and when we look at the Corinthians text, when we look at the Ephesians text, although he's talking out in a kind of... Um, he's talking to a people that were once known as the outward group who are excluded, Paul's saying, God gave, revealed this mystery through his spirit to his holy apostles and to the prophets that we never saw coming, that for thousands of years we missed this, that this is so much bigger than Israel. This is so much bigger than one lineage. This is so much bigger than one family. This is for the Jews and the Gentiles. And when we think of Gentiles, we always think of kind of Greeks, but Gentile means anyone who's not a Jew. Paul's saying, this is for everyone. And he's saying that in this moment, he says, that, 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 this, that through this, the manifold wisdom of what God is doing in his church, he says, that will be revealed, that is then revealed to the powers and the principalities. He's saying that we got this revelation direct from God's spirit. And he's saying like the angels are catching up, that they're watching what's happening among us. And they're like, dang, did not see that plot twist coming. Just like me and you did not see Jon Snow dying in Game oh. of Thrones. Oh my gosh, did that just... If that show could kick you in the nads any harder, I mean, I don't know what they could have done than just do that. That little Ollie. Oh, 
that little guy. You, just when you thought there was not a new character you could hate anymore, there is a new character that you can hate in new ways. And it happens. And it was like that moment in, in this letter in Ephesians. Paul's like, we, we didn't see it, but we weren't alone in this. That when this happened, the angels were like, dang, oh my goodness, this guy is so hot. They did not see it coming. And that's kind of what happens. So in this Corinthians chapter, it's talking about this wisdom. And he's talking about it being seen as two different sets of things. He's talking to two different lineages. He's talking about two different types of people. For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through the wisdom. It pleased God through the folly that we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs, the Greek demand wisdom. So he talks about the two lineages. He goes, these guys want signs. These guys want wisdom. Before that, he goes, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of his age? He's saying, where is the scribe? He's, he's, he's hitting at his, his Hebrew homeboys. Then he goes, where is the debater? He's hitting at his Greek homeboys. And then he's going through this saying that, well, for you guys, you want a sign. Um, for you guys, you want wisdom. And this Christ crucified is this huge, huge stumbling block. Well, what does this have to do with artificial intelligence? What does this have to do with the series that we're looking at? Well, the last couple of weeks, as we talked about AI, we talked about a number of things. We talked about a, a leading organization called DeepMind, which has been bought by Google for $400 million. We've talked about their founder making this statement saying that even if you add more minds to solve the greater problems within our society, such as uh, climate change, such as poverty, you add more minds, we still won't solve these issues. So we need to look to a superintelligence to solve these issues, that if we look to the superintelligence create this AI, it will be able to solve the complex problems around our world, huge amounts of data which we can't break down, the human mind can't comprehend, adding more people to it won't solve it, all this kind of stuff. And yet, what we have here is in Corinthians, is talking about there's this gospel, there's this good news, there is this good news of this Jesus, there's this good news of what he teaches, there's this good news of what he carries out in his own body, there's this good news of this resurrection, there's this good news that it doesn't all end in death, that there's a restoration, there's a hope that transcends beyond anything we've ever known. One that the people who were in the in-group didn't comprehend, the people in the out-group didn't comprehend, that the angels didn't even comprehend, to the depth that this would go, that this would be bigger than anything anyone had perceived. And it goes a step further because in 1 Colossians 20, it says, He, through Christ, He is reconciling all things to Himself. So it's like God is looking at the bigger issue of absolutely everything. And so when we look at the issues facing our society, that people are taking the risk of wanting to push the AI agenda and artificial intelligence, artificial means fake intelligence, to solve these bigger issues, actually maybe the suggestion here in the narrative is that maybe you're looking in the wrong place, that already there's been a solution that solves all of the above complex issues in our society. And it comes down to Colossians and what Paul writes that he, in himself, in Christ, he is reconciling all things himself. That in Jesus, all things get restored back to their proper place. That all things get restored to the proper balance. That injustice disappears. That sickness disappears. That pain, that suffering. And that we're trying to look to this because, as I've said in the first week, we've taken a pivotal shift where we've moved from looking, trusting in a God, separating ourselves from him, looking, trusting in ourselves, realizing we and ourselves are not enough. We're shifting to look to an AI or a superintelligence to solve the issues in our society when actually where we were in the first place is where the answer is found all along. That in Jesus, he reconciles all things to himself. That he's bringing to a close everything that is going on in the universe. That he's going to bring healing throughout 
all contexts that are beyond our minds, that not just our souls, not just our spirits, not just on a personal level, but on an inclusive level. And it brings us back round to some of the things, not just that Jesus did, but that Jesus taught. And we've looked at this passage so many times. But it's what it's all about. In Matthew 5, this is where kind of the vision for City Hill is. This is the call of God directly for you, directly for me, that if this church is a part of your life, this is what matters to you, then this is the passage, pass, passage, new word, it's a passage, it's a passage, but it's got a T in it. So this passage is the one that really kind of speaks into our vision, into our lives, and this is the challenge for us. Jesus says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. calls us to be salt he calls us to be light and in Isaiah it talks about the people seeing a great light here Jesus says that you are it you are the light of the world that he calls us to be included in this New Scientist magazine a few weeks ago made this statement it said that there are literally millions of stars that have been hiding their light millions of stars galaxies hiding their light that we we'd never seen before they've been hidden and as I remember reading that, and it was this little line on the top of the front cover, and I've been kind of bought, I went and bought it straight away because I thought it was just so, so awesome. I went and bought it because what I saw was I didn't see in that text millions of stars have been hiding their light. I was reminded of Paul, his letters to the Philippians, saying that we have to shine like stars. I was reminded of Jesus saying, You are the light of the world. And what I read at the top of New Scientist magazine was, Millions of Christians have been hiding their light and no one has seen them. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket on a stand and it gives light to all who are in the house. All around the world there are millions of Christians and no one knows they're there because they're hiding their light. Just like new scientists looking out to stars, millions of stars they'd never seen because they were hiding their light, this article claimed. And I remember sitting and thinking like, dang, what a horrible, horrible thing that could be said of us. My challenge this morning is, are we hiding our light in our sphere of influence? Often as Christians, we think shining the light can result to being a weirdo that starts shouting out random stuff about Jesus um, dressing in a Benny Hinn suit, going into a pub, and she came on a hondering people, or Hadouken, if you're a street fighter too inclined, and doing all these strange kind of weird things, and then we are shining a light. Or we think of shining a light being like, I don't know, man, I've met some really weird Christians who do some really weird stuff that like, as soon as a bottle of alcohol comes out, oh my gosh, it's just like, dang, man, like, I just do not want to be around you, and I'm, I'm a Christian, and you're maybe my brother, and I'm like, I'm not sure if I want you in my family. It's kind of like that, and all these weird things that people do in these different settings, 
And then they're like, man, I was a witness there. You know, I sowed a seed. I'm like, yeah, a seed of doubt in humanity. Thank you so freaking much for your contribution. And so we have all this. But then when I think about that story, that article, and then when I think about what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 5, I think they're the same thing. And I think that he wants us to shine like stars. And the passage where Paul talks about it, he talks about, um, relates to a passage in, in the Exodus story where they were grumbling in the desert. He's like, don't be people grumbling, making noise in the desert that you've been set free from slavery, but you want to moan about something new in your life, which is nowhere near as bad as what you're going through before. Always just grumbling, no matter how much good stuff happens, just grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. He's like, no, that's not your call. That's not who your identity is. Your identity is you shine like stars. And I thought about this. And as I thought about this, I started to think about my workplace. And you see, I started a new job doing youth work. And I wish I could tell you, kind of share the stories of some of these guys where they've come from, but legally, can't do that um, because that's just how it rolls but this last like the first two weeks I had a really tough time and some of these kids like I just couldn't engage with them and some of them were just so aggressive that even if I was affirmative or said something nice like well done they just flipped out and all this kind of stuff to deal with and it was like oh my gosh seriously I'm just trying to encourage you and you like wanted to punch my face in great good on you and then I realized something about my role my role was I was paid to deal with all the different behavioral issues. When something went wrong, they met me. So people only met me in this negative setting. And so Jesus talked about in this same passage in Matthew 5, in this Sermon on the Mount, he says, what good is it to love those who love you? Everybody loves those who love them. So even like the most vilest person you can think of ends up loving the people that love them. He says, I tell you to love your enemies. I tell you to bless those who, who mistreat you. To, to, to do good to those who curse you. He talks about doing all this kind of stuff and he lays this out and that is what it means to shine. And you see, so often what happens is we, we refuse to step out of the circle and we perpetuate the system. And so with these guys, I decided, how am I going to do this? How am I going to go about this? Not just for my job's sake. I could still just put up all this stuff and just go with it. But how am I going to be Jesus in my sphere of influence? How am I going to shine like a star where I work? How am I going to be the light that God has called me to be where I am? And so I made a decision. I made a decision. Like they see me just doing my job, paid to spend this a lot of time with them and deal with their nonsense. What they need to see, morning, you're right. What they need to see from me is they need to see Jesus. And what they need to see from me is someone who loves them when they mistreat them. Someone who goes the extra mile. Someone who's going to take what they throw at them. And so what I started to do was I didn't just spend my working time with them because that was bait. Everyone there spends their working time with them. But I wanted to spend my lunch break hanging out with my colleagues. I've got some cool colleagues. I love chatting to those guys, hanging out, hearing their story, hearing where they're at. What did I do? I sacrificed my break times. I'd work straight through with these kids. And then in my break time, I hang out in their area by the cage, like playground. It's not really a playground, but I hang in there. I get to know, I get everyone's stories. First thing in the morning, I'm there hanging out, chatting to each and every one I see come in. In my lunchtime, when I need a break so desperately, I go, I grab my food and I sit and I eat with them instead of eating my colleagues. And then all of a sudden, through doing these things, by doing what Jesus calls me to be, which is shining in this environment, by being countercultural, by showing this love, over the last two weeks, it's all started to change. I've come back from paternity. I've started doing this for these two weeks. And then just this last week gone, I've had people coming back to me, staff members saying, I had a one-to-one -one with this kid. And they're dealing with some issues. And this kid said, no reason for me to come up in topic at all. But I just come up. 
because I've been putting this shift in of love and of who God has called me to be. And this kid says, Andy's different. He gives a, can't repeat that word, about me. He's, he, one of the kids said, he's the only one who gives a, about us. He actually cares about us. That's what one of the guys said. And then you know what? It wasn't alone. Three different people came to me, about three different kids that all said that about me. And all I've done is discipline them like I have in that setting, but in my spare time, I spend this time with them. And one of the kids who kicks off so much that he just never does what anyone says, my last day of the week before, well, Wednesday was my last day of the week because of an incident that happened. I wasn't able to go in. But on Wednesday, I was there. Everything was kicking off. I had so much work on my plate. Someone came in, needed this done. Someone needed that done. And then one of the the staff comes in and says, could someone tell this guy to get in his class? before I just lose it because he's just not listening. I walked out to this boy. I didn't have any free time. I went up to him and I said, can you do me a favor? He said, yeah, sure, anything for you. That freaked me out at the start straight away. I was like, can you get back in your class? He goes, no, I'm going home, man. I'm like, Dude, could you do me a favor and just get back in your class? I don't have time to coax you, to debate with you, to do this for you. Just do me a favor and get in your class. I'm way too busy for this. And I just walked off. End of the day, I saw the staff member walk past and went, so what happened with so-and-so? He goes, oh, he went back in the class. He said he was a, a douche the rest of the day, but he went back in the class. And then he went to me, how did you get him to go back? I just went, I asked him to do me a favor. And the guy looked at me like I was talking Chinese. <laughs> he looked at me like I was talking Chinese, like, you just asked him to do you a favor. And he went, yeah, that, that's, that's all I did. And I realized something, that we can perpetuate the circle or we can step out of it. We can perpetuate a system that says, this person does this to you, you do this back. You can perpetuate a system where you don't know that person's story. If you knew their story, you'd probably treat them them differently and go, oh man, I totally get why you behave that way. But here's the thing, Jesus doesn't ask you to wait to find out their story and their pain for why they acted that way. He just asks you to do it. And do you know what the problem we have is? So often we're looking to trust in an artificial intelligence and a cultural system that says you need to be this way. Jesus tells us to do something different. We don't want to trust him. We don't want to believe what he's saying, even though if we all believe what he's saying and acted differently within our cultural context and our setting and our families and our environments, everything would be so much better. We don't trust him and we stick walking in the same circle and the same ways. This morning, I am calling us to do two things. I think God is calling us to do two things. I believe he is calling us to shine bright. I believe he's saying for too long we've hidden as stars, not shining our light, millions of us. It's time to step up to the plate to take on the teaching that he has and this week deciding, I know that colleague, I know that douchebag that I do not want to spend time with. I know who they are. I know them by name. I know them by face. And I'm going to do what Jesus calls me to do. I'm going to be salt. I'm going to be light. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care how they mistreat me. I'm breaking the cycle. I'm following Jesus. And even if it goes horribly wrong, I'm committed to following him. And I'm going to see him do something in this person's life. Because that is what Jesus has done in my life. He saw the cycle I was stuck in and he steps in and he broke it on the cross for me. And he died for me and he rose again. And he ever lives in intercession that I am not trapped in that cycle. May we become people like Jesus that go out and break that cycle. Not looking to some conventional or some new ethereal kind of intelligence, some superintendent is going to change it. The intelligence is already there. Jesus has called us and he's given us a way that will change our society and our system. And bigger than just the 
external area of our lives, I also want to call us internally to put our trust in him with our own pain, with our own hurt. Because so often we do not surrender to Jesus the most painful areas of our lives because we believe it, but we don't really believe it. Actually, we don't believe it at all because if you believe it, you do something. It's a verb. It's a doing word. And this morning, I want to call us to trust him with the most sensitive, painful areas of our lives, knowing that no matter how badly it flops, we are just going to lay it in his hands and trust him to do what's right with it. Father God, we bring this week three of this series to a close and we start to touch on not just the idea of artificial intelligence as, as a technological notion, but the idea of fake intelligence, of false wisdom. And that we know that your wisdom and the conventional wisdom of the world, as Paul describes it, it appears folly in light of your wisdom. But it goes both ways. We look at the wisdom of the gospel and it's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. But actually when you engage with this gospel and it becomes a part of your own narrative and story, it becomes the most priceless wisdom we've ever known. This morning, may we come and bow at your feet and receive the greatest wisdom ever known. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. They are high above. May your ways become our ways. May your thoughts start to become our thoughts. May we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. May you shape our minds, Lord God, to live like you. May we shine like stars this week. May we be salt. May we be the flavor in our friends' worlds. May we be the light that shines so brightly in the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.